The views presented are those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or its components. Zoomies, welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Force Support Officer Major Dominique Jong. Despite what the cadet role of Force Support at the Academy is, these officers are not responsible for tailgates in the real Air Force. We touch on topics like deployed operations, different specialties, protocol, and lots more. Tune in for all the details and clear it up. Major Jung, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so you are a force support officer. Um, do you mind giving a little background about yourself, where you're from, when you, where you went to school, things that you've done in your career? Yeah, so um, I am originally from Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I went to school out there as well, uh, a small private school called uh, Charleston Southern University, where I completed the ROTC program out there. Um, and commissioned as a force support officer in 2010. Actually, I just realized that's not true. I commissioned as a cyber officer. Cross-trained? I cross-trained while I was in cyber schoolhouse. So um, I actually came in 2010 as a cyber officer, um, knew from the beginning it wasn't the job for me. So I kind of started talking to some people, trying to see what my opportunities were to kind of cross-train. I found a way to put in a reclassification package. I started doing that while I was still in um, my training, and I got accepted to uh, cross-train into force support. And luckily, force support schoolhouse was right down the street, right at Keesler. Um, so I was able to complete that before I PCS to my first assignment. Um, just some background on what I've done as a force support officer. I've done, you know, almost as many jobs as you can think of as the, at the squadron level. So I did some services stuff. I did some personnel stuff. Um, I did some wing level stuff while I was out there. Um, I've also done a joint job. I've done MAGCOM staff. Um, so I've got kind of a, I've, I deployed while as force support. So I've got kind of a wide range of of opportunities I've been able to do in this career field so far. Um, outside of that, I am married to another active duty military member who is a intel officer. Um, he graduated from this fine institution in 2012, and he's currently at the J2 at Northcom, and we have two children. Okay, sweet. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on the process of cross-training? Um, I can't because it was 12 years ago, so I don't know if it is the same process. Um, And it was like this weird kind of loophole that we found while I was in tech school um, that I don't feel I should put out what the loophole was on this forum. That's fine. Yeah. So, but more or less you're saying it's it's uncommon to do. It's uncommon, but not... um, I mean, it doesn't mean it can't happen. Right? Okay. Yeah. Well, can you go in? All right. So, <laughs> a little bit about force support. 
Uh-huh. We'll get away from the loopholes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what does uh, the average day of a force support officer look like with in accordance with its mission set? Um, so force support is a very broad career field, right? So I even talked about a couple of things that I did. Um, so it includes services, which is kind of like your food service, your fitness, and lodging. Um, it also includes like the military personnel side or personnel side as a whole, which will include military personnel. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also manpower, there's civilian personnel, there's some of your more um, quality of life functions. So like um, the golf course, childcare, education, all of that kind of will fall under the force support umbrella. So I can't tell you what an average day of the life looks like because it kind of depends on which area for support you're in Mm -hmm. so being in services is going to look very different than being in personnel um so i don't know that there's an an average day just given how broad of a career field it is so what's the difference between support and services or personnel and services um so services like you said kind of focuses on food service uh fitness um lodging things like that. Um, And so that's a lot of your more kind of hands-on jobs, right? So that may be, you know, overseeing the dining facilities on base. Um, My first base I went to, we also had an alert kitchen because we had crews that were on alert. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would make sure that those were always staffed and that could make those alert crews meals um, while they were sitting on alert. Uh, We also did the boxed lunches. Um, Box nasties. Uh, which they call is not them that a, out there. They do, but I do not call them that. Um, <laughs> they are box lunches. And uh, so we would do stuff like that. Um, or it could be like working in the fitness center and you'd oversee the FAC, which is where you do the fitness assessment cell. Um, or you would oversee the equipment. You'd order equipment. You'd maintain the equipment, stuff like that. Um, and then there's lodging, which is like, you know, when a hotel basically on base. So those are kind of the primary roles of services where personnel really focuses on the more kind of human resource stuff, right? So people's records, their retirement separations, promotions, Mm -hmm. PCSs, you know, it's even as much as like putting your family members into DEERS to make sure that they have the right um, benefits and, and whatnot that they get as a dependent so um they're the first people you go to right you get a cac from them mm-hmm. and uh you'll do everything else related to your career field will touch uh you know the military personnel side at some point okay yeah um you also mentioned that there was a civilian side of mm-hmm. the that force support can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah so there's also civilian personnel which is Almost everything that the military personnel side is for military members, but specific to civilian GS employees, and and that also falls under the force support umbrella. But um, it's usually run by a civilian, and it's usually like that shop is run by a civilian um, and overseen by a force support uh, officer or commander. Um, but that's the, your go-to person for all things related to civilian personnel matters. Okay, so. You're saying that the more service end of things are the ones that are going to get their hands dirty. You could end up in the kitchen with people. Yes. Yeah. Like as an officer, right, you're not actually in there necessarily making the meals every day. But I mean, I would go down there quite often to help my airmen make the meals um, or help them clean up after a meal, help them serve a meal, kind of whatever it was Mm -hmm. where, you know, in personnel, it's unlikely that I'm going to like 
type on the keyboard with the airmen as they're, you know, correcting someone's records or something. So it's just a little more of actually being in there doing the job with them. Okay. Yeah. So what is it like working with enlisted in that structure? It's not, I, is it pushing down a lot of paperwork to them? Um, what it, does that look like? In the services career field or yeah, personnel? Or, okay. I don't know if it's different between the two. Um, I'd say, and maybe I've been really lucky in that I've had really great enlisted members that kind of already know what they're doing and don't need, you know, too much direction or guidance from me, but, um, and are way more, you know, versed in what the requirements are for it. So, um, I wouldn't say it's a lot of pushing down paperwork, but just make sure they're maintaining the standards that, you know, we would sometimes do random like quality checks because they like the kitchens get inspected. Um, and so we would just come down there and kind of do a random inspection, make sure everything's good to go. Uh, we'd, we would do outreach to like the airmen on base to kind of see what kind of foods are they looking for? What kind of things are they hoping to do? What could we do to kind of, um, provide them with what it is that they want. For instance, where I was, they started a monthly Mongolian barbecue based on some feedback and, and working through the process of getting that approved, things like that. Um, that's kind of what we focused on in food service, which looks a little different than what we focus on in military personnel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you guys are responsible for auditing it yourself? They will also have people come in and okay. audit, but we would do self-audits as well just to make sure that if we ever got a random inspection, yeah. we were also, you know, we already knew that where we were and where our deficiency may, deficiencies may be. Yeah, because yeah. obviously we're all on our honor here, but <laughs> that seems like a, a slight conflict of interest, I might yes, say. Yes, yes. So, okay, there are outside people making yes, sure that yes. the checks and balances are going on. Um, so to get into deployments, mm-hmm. or actually, we'll start with locations. This sounds like you can be a floor support officer at every base because every base needs some type of dining facility, mm-hmm. some type of personal accountability system. Yes. Um, one of the things that drew me to FSS was the fact that I could pretty much get stationed anywhere, right? Uh, every force support base that I can think of um, – force support base edit that every air force base (laughs) that i can think of um has some sort of either services or uh personnel there it may be a small even your smaller bases it may be a smaller um you know operation where it's just a handful of personnel there to do kind of personnel accountability um but pretty much if there's a military or an air force um you know member there you're going to find some kind of personnel there as well so I I appreciated that I had full range of kind of going all over the world with this with this job and so that was one of the things that really you know made me want to do it too because I wanted to travel right and I didn't want to be stuck to certain locations so yeah and that includes deployed locations right overseas locations um you know we're everywhere so does say you're placing in trade school allow you to choose what base you go to or is there any say in where in you tech go school? for yeah sorry no so usually if you are given for support um you know out of your commissioning source so here right you will find out your assignment before mm-hmm. you go to tech school and in a lot of situations you will arrive at your first base before you even start tech school. You might spend a few months kind of doing some OJT and learning, you know, 
what What's it OJT? is on the job training. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> um, and learning some of the you know the core stuff to FSS, maybe shadowing a couple other lieutenants or captains, and then you'll go to your tech school, which is down in Mississippi, and I think it's about eight weeks maybe, which includes a week of bear base setup, which is one of our um, requirements as force support to know how to, if you were to deploy into an austere environment to um, set up the base along with CE to provide food and shelter and whatnot for the base populace there. Okay, so there isn't much choice over where you go because you'll get it. I mean, you do a dream sheet like anyone else would. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's not like if I'm the top person at tech school, I can pick my my base, which I know in some career fields that was the method. Okay, so yeah. it might be based off OPA or some other it thing. It might be here. or okay. just needs of the Air Force or, may, you know, maybe I want to go to, like, Minot and nobody else wants to go to yeah. Minot, so I get Minot, right? Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not saying nobody Everybody wants picks to go to Minot. Minot. <laughs> yeah, I've heard great things about Minot. Never been there, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go on about deployments. Um, so, yeah, you know, we have a, a presence at – you know, most, if not all, deployed locations. Um, what we do deployed is slightly different than what we do home station. So services is kind of the same. Uh, we still provide food. Sometimes the, the food is contracted out, but we'll provide oversight of that. Um, we'll do the lodging and the bed down plan for that location. Um, and then we do a lot of the MWR stuff at the pl- deployed device environment and that's the morale welfare and recreation yeah so what that might look like deployed the mwr is like uh events that they might put on so we did a lot of fun runs at my location um and sometimes that just meant like getting shirts for people that participated in the fun runs organizing Mm -hmm. the fun runs setting up water stations stuff like that um they had a latin salsa dance night that they would put on um they would do trivia night we had different they would get um you know people to come in like performers yeah performers okay. and stuff and come in and and do special events um we had a what i thought was an amazing fourth of july like event at our location um so it's just kind of putting on stuff like that to kind of build the morale and we could have used whatnot. one of those in pinion canyon yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe next summer <laughs> um but yeah it was so that's kind of what they what they do in the deployed location where the personnel side of it um focuses a lot on personnel accountability so just making sure they know where everyone is and you know if someone in processes the base they know where they are and when they out process the base they know where they are they are and and we kind of keep track of where all of our members are um, across the globe it sounds like force support is kind of this unsung hero because i don't hear many good things about it yeah but it sounds like what you guys do is it's very much for the morale and we all know how important that is when things get tough. Yeah, I think it's a little harder stateside from what I've seen is just because, like, even if you look here at, at USAFA or at the 10th, you know, they put on a lot of MWR events. But when you have access to, to leave the base and go do, you know, what you want when mm-hmm. you want, you're maybe less likely to go participate in some base activities. Um, but when you're at a deployed location or maybe you're overseas in Europe or Asia or somewhere, um, it's a little bit more tight-knit and uh, people. I really enjoyed all the MWR stuff we did in my deployed location, and I would say a lot of people out there did too. So you get a lot more appreciation out there, and I think 
maybe even a lot more job satisfaction mm-hmm. in those kind of deployed, austere environments. How often could you get deployed? Um, it, it ranges. So I have only been on one deployment so far in my career, and I have friends that are also FSF that have been on, you know, four or more. So it kind of depends on, you know, your base, kind of what the, the ops tempo is there, um, kind of what's going on in the world and, mm-hmm. and how, how often, you know, any of we're sending people out for deployments and stuff like that. Okay. It's typical six month deployment. Um, you mentioned protocol. Mm-hmm. So force support is okay. a part of protocol. Um, I've dealt with them a little bit at the soup's house. Yeah, that... I wouldn't say that force support is a part of protocol, but a lot of force support officers also um, work protocol. Okay, so that is a connection. Yes. Um, and I don't know if that's just because that's that's the kind of stuff that we like, and that's where force support officers kind of uh, like to go when they do some career broadening. Um at my first base, they kind of tried to pull from force support. Um, and so a lot of the officers out there would go into pro- protocol. Um, but it's not, it doesn't fall under proto- or under FSS. It falls under the wing usually. Okay. So would that be one of those extra duties things? It would be a career broadening. So, I'm not familiar. Okay, this. so extra duty is like my job is, you know, maybe I'm the food service officer, but my extra duty is, you know, I do the equipment uh, inventory or something, right? Okay. Uh, career broadening is I'm a force support officer, but I'm going to go work in the protocol office as a protocol officer, or I'm going to go work in the EO office learning about this other thing i'm going to go exec for the wing commander something like that so um they're slightly different and you kind of are removed from your core job as an fss officer officer or whatever you know career field you're in and you go do this other job to broaden your like scope um of the air force so it's not your extra duty that you replace with protocol it's your actual job it's your actual job okay and that's sometimes like a year long job okay Mm -hmm. so what i've seen at the the soup's house they kind of (laughs) telling everybody like when it's time to go direct them Mm -hmm. places is that you're constantly working with these events and then right yeah it would kind of depend i did not work in a protocol office okay um i have worked with protocol and uh, so it kind of depends on who you're the protocol for, because it might look different for like a four-star general in DC than it would for like a wing commander, at, okay. you know, whatever location. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of you do kind of the c- customs and courtesies and um, military decorum and stuff like that. That's kind of your your primary primary job understanding those things so it's a really important job I work with them quite frequently anytime there's someone way more important than me involved in it (laughs) and uh they make sure we've got everything set up the right way so yeah yeah. um so is there anything from your career that you're especially proud of that you've done I mean there's the you know what I kind of call the normal stuff of I think every officer right is contributing to the mission working with great airmen and officers and kind of getting after some of that stuff, having 
hopefully, you know, some kind of positive impact on your organization. Um, but if I'm talking specific to my career, I, I got a very unique opportunity at this joint assignment I had where we worked on, um, like, O plans and contingency plans and stuff like that, uh, that I don't know a lot of, you know, force support officers that have done that. Um, there was two of us, two Air Force force support officers um, at the whole headquarters. And uh, so going out there and kind of working with whether it's AFRICOM or UCOM or whatever, Indo-PACOM, and, and getting a, like a firsthand look of how they, they plan out, you know, different contingencies or whatever um, and having a role in that that was probably a, a unique opportunity that I opened my eyes a lot to all the other things that are happening in the world and in the Air Force that sometimes I don't get to see in force support. Was that completely um, joint with other branches or was that um, multinational as well? Um, so it was joint with other branches um, we would sometimes work in, in connection with other uh, countries. For instance, like maybe we did, Indo-PACOM did like an exercise with Japan or mm -hmm. something like that. But um, our primary job was just, it was just joint as far as branches. Okay. And then exercises could include other countries. So that would be just trying to bring more people or the correct amount of however many jobs you need for whatever exercise or plan. That yeah, whatever, you know, whatever that kind of exercise focused on, whether it was like, hey, if this situation happened, speaking solely from a personnel perspective, right, if this situation were to happen, how would you go about maintaining positive accountability for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And you can even look at, we even do stuff like that stateside, right? Let's before hurricane season, hey, if this hurricane were to occur and, you know, how let's do an exercise on how we maintain accountability of, of all of our forces if they've had to leave the area, stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of more what personnel might focus on in some of those exercises. We're responsible for helping to ensure that there's a, you know, positive accountability for all of our members, mm -hmm. right? And if someone goes missing like you know making sure we follow the right steps to make sure it's not just like an oversight somehow and and whatever before we you know mm -hmm. maybe it's a dust run or MIA or something like that uh, sorry I forgot what dust one is oh dust one duty status whereabouts unknown okay yeah sorry. so um, you know there's there's protocols and stuff that you would do if someone is unaccounted for, just like here, right? Positive DI or whatever. Mm -hmm. We don't just say, oh, they must be missing. They must be AWOL, right? You kind of work through steps to kind of see where see where someone is before you kind of make that call. But also making sure that that's being communicated up the chain that, hey, we're, you know, we can't find this member or whatever. And I'd, I'd say you see a lot more of that deployed or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Home station usually, they just didn't answer their phone or something, you yeah. know, and, and we're not doing a whole lot of, you know, day-to-day -day accountability kind of stuff um, in personnel. Yeah. <laughs> I swear I've been doing, I, I went to, I went to a prep school in high school and I've been, 
accountability every night for the past five years of my life i can't get away from it yeah yeah so i'm not doing that home station right i'm not like calling the whole squadron like report your accountability before you go to bed um that's not happening yeah Yeah. that's unique to this place (laughs) so do you have any um general advice for anybody that's looking to commission whether it's here or the um rotc maybe ots in any job uh, just, just looking just to commission. commission. Um, any advice? I'd say, you know, kind of do your research. Um, this is potentially, like, depending on your commissioning source, could be four to 20-plus years of your life, right? Um, so kind of do your research, kind of know what you're going into. Listen to a podcast that gives you <laughs> lots of, you know, background information on different career fields um, because you want to enjoy your job, and I don't think it's – realistic to say that I or anyone else enjoys their job all day every day but you know if you have some basic job satisfaction you like what you do you feel you know proud of what you do um, and you're happy with the choice that you made or maybe the choice that was given to you right Um, you know I think that's good and then also right as someone who didn't get their first job um, while it maybe worked in my favor I think there are so many jobs out there that once you learn about them and you you get to know more about it are really great jobs, but sometimes maybe there's a negative, you know, connotation or a negative, you know, vibe around that job or just you don't know enough about it to make an informed decision on whether that would be a good job for you or not. So give give some other jobs some a chance. <laughs> yeah, I need yeah. To, I need to listen to that myself. <laughs> right now my head is turning about making sure my grades are good enough and OPA, all this stuff, yeah. but like you're saying, at the end of the day, whether I get the job I want or not, it'll probably be okay. Yeah. And I don't know. Hopefully, Shit. you find something you enjoy about it enough to, you know, at least for the next five to 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> as soon as yeah. my commitment's over. Yeah, yeah. So, well, do you have anything else that you think cadets should know about your job? Um, I think it's a great job. You learn a lot about the Air Force and, and, you know, the processes in the Air Force, I think it's helped me be more prepared for some of the things that occur, whether it's promotions or, you know, different special duties or, you know, what retirement looks like and, and stuff like that. It gives you kind of a, a great firsthand view of all things related to career progression and and what's important in, in a member's career. And, uh, you know, that might be your thing. It might not be, but it's really opened my eyes to what kind, what kind of things the Air Force, um, what opportunities the Air Force has, as long as you take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's helped me kind of have more say and more kind of uh, direction in my career that maybe I wouldn't had I not known all of these things. Background research. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for I'm having sh- me. I- I, I, I didn't know any of this before. <laughs> Force support was, I thought they, 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 they're the ones that do the, the catering to the, the, um, the tailgates. Oh, that's, yeah. that's the only knowledge I had before. So I, I really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we can spread the message yeah, that so. Force support does more than tailgates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a lot more than tailgates. There's no tailgates in the real Air Force. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Well, there you have it. Force support in all its glory. 
I really appreciate all the feedback. It's definitely being taken into consideration. In the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing with info ops and air battle manager, maintenance officers, finance officers, RPA pilot, and a few others. Keep letting me know what you want to hear in the polls. Thanks for listening. Gorm out. Yeah.